Hi there. This past week, our nation has been rocked with the um, turmoil and the hostility following the killing of yet another person of colour, George Floyd. And like you know, so many of you, um, you know, I've grieved over this. I've been deeply disturbed by what has happened. And it's caused me to, you know, question my own heart and to ask, you know, is there anything that needs to change in me? What can I do to combat racism? Uh, you know, what can we collectively do to bring about the change that is so desperately needed in our society? And so it's something I want to speak to today because, you know, I really do believe that the church holds the answer, that we have a vital role to play where prejudice and racism is concerned. Not that the church has had a great track record, uh, which again is something else we need to mourn over and repent of. Uh, you know, all too often the church has remained silent uh, or missed the mark or even you know, contributed to the hostility, which is the antithesis of Christ's kingdom uh, and in no way represents the heart of God in this matter. And so, you know, I really pray that by God's grace, our church will do better. We need to do better. Um, and, and by the way, the answer is not to say, uh, well, I'm colorblind. You know, I don't see uh, people's color. Or, or if you're a Christian, you might say, I don't see people's color. You know, I, I see Christ in them. Yeah, yeah, really, that's not going to help. It might be well-meaning, but it really isn't helpful. Neither actually is it biblical. You know, we have something so much better to offer than just conformity where everyone is colorblind and everyone looks the same, right? I mean, the story that we have is so, so much better than that. And I'll get there in a minute. But first of all, we've got to start where the story starts. And that is with God, right? In the beginning, God. And as you now know, today is Trinity Sunday, and it's where we celebrate the revelation uh, of God as three persons, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we get the first clue of that right at the beginning of the story in Genesis 1.26, where it says this. It's where God says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. God exists as a community or family of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct, co-equal, co-eternal persons. Uh, it's part of the, the mystery and the, and, the, and the beauty of God. And this revelation of God as Trinity becomes clearer as you go through the story. Because, you know, when you get to the end of the Bible, uh, the Apostle John, having been with Jesus and seeing God in the flesh, he was able to say, God is love. Now, he couldn't say that unless God was a trinity, right? A solitary God can't love, can't be love, uh, right? Because love requires an object. Love requires a relationship. And so God is love. He, he is in very essence 
love because he's always existed as this kind of loving family of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself uh, made that very clear in John 17, where he said this. He says, Father, you love me before the creation of the world. Some theologians have tried to explain that as uh, the Father is the lover, the Son is the beloved, and the Spirit is the agent of love. In fact, we see this depicted at Jesus's baptism when the Holy Spirit came upon him. And what Jesus experienced there was the love of the Father. As a voice was heard from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son. God is love. God is Trinity. Now, why is this important? Well, because we have been made in the image of God. And it's important that we understand that for two main reasons. Right? First of all, if we've been made in God's image, then it affects how we see one another. Because it means that God's image is given to every single person in the entire human race, including the unborn in the womb. And even though you know, God's image has become marred because of man's sin, you know, we still retain that God-given dignity. And it means that all people, you know, people of every ethnicity, gender and class, have the dignity of being God's image bearer. And that means every life matters and deserves equal respect. And, you know, when we ignore that, when we ignore the image of God in each of us, you know, the dignity that that gives, that's what results in the social atrocities that we see in society today. And, and not just racism and, and hate crimes, but abortion, the abuse of children, uh, sex trafficking, pornography, and so on. So it affects how we see one another, right? The value that we give to each other. But secondly, you know, if we are made in the image of God, it also affects how we relate to one another, which is in love. You see, God has always existed in this community of love. And so, you know, he didn't create mankind because he was lonely or bored. Uh, it's because his love cannot be contained. It's like, it's like a fountain that overflows. And so God's love, the Father's love for his son, his delight in his son, it, it overflowed into creation. Right? God created mankind that we might share uh, in the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father through the Holy Spirit. We're, we're kind of brought into this wonderful uh, life, this fellowship of the Trinity. It's why in the beginning there was such harmony on earth. But tragically that harmony was shattered when our love turned in on itself. See, the issue uh, with Adam and Eve was, wasn't so much that they behaved wrongly, but that they loved wrongly. You know, they loved themselves more than they loved God. It's a case of misdirected love. You see, if God's love is like uh, this overflowing fountain uh, being poured out uh, upon us, right, then we are like conduits of his love. 
and as we are receiving and enjoying this this constant ceaseless flow of his love uh, being poured into our lives by the Holy Spirit then that must then flow through us it overflows from us to God and to one another right it's what we were created to experience it's what will ultimately satisfy our deepest needs but what happens when that love turns in on itself you see it's like a, a, a river that gets silted up it stops the flow and so we end up becoming more like stinking stagnant ponds and that's what we see happening to the human family in those first chapters of Genesis where we see not only did their relationship with God break down but also with one another as they began to experience shame and fear began casting blame and before long you got Cain killing Abel you got Lamech dreaming of vengeance and the whole human family is torn apart by hostility and really that is what has plagued our world uh, and the way that we relate to one another all through history up to the present day we you know God's love continues to overflow right? his desire to expand his family still stands and so the father sent his son Jesus to redeem us from our sin that we might be reconciled back to God that we might be brought back into this loving fellowship but also so that he might have a new community Right, within the, the broken, fallen world that we live in, a, a community made up of people from diverse backgrounds, uh, you know, different ethnicities, who may formerly have been hostile to one another, but who are now united as one new family in Christ. And that's what we see in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, where the Apostle Paul writes of God's intention in this, uh, when Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. Uh, this is what he says. God's intention, he says, is that he might create in himself, in Christ, one new man in place of the two. And he's talking specifically there about Jews and Gentiles, uh, where there was tension and hostility between those two people groups. But it could equally be, you know, uh, Shia and Sunni or black and white uh, that Christ came that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, he says, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. For through him, through Christ, he says, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And here again, you know, we see the Trinity at work with the Father sending the Son to reconcile us back to himself and to one another. And, and the Spirit uh, is the one who opens our eyes to this new reality, who, who brings us into uh, the life and the, and the love of the, of the Trinity. And you see, that is the message of the gospel. That is the good news uh, of our story. That because of Jesus, there is this new humanity being formed on the earth. There's this growing, expanding family of diverse people who all relate to God as Father. 
it's a it's an international, a global family made up of different ethnicities, but who all share the same eternal spirit. And that is why the church has the answer to hostility and racism. And at the end of the story, you know, in the book of Revelation, we get a glimpse here of Christ's finished work, of what the kingdom of heaven will look like on earth. And what do we see here? You know, we see worshippers made up of every nation, tribe and tongue, uh, every color, every ethnicity, right, all united in one song. It's where God says, I'm making everything new. Uh, it, it, it promises a society where racism, uh, ageism, classism, sexism doesn't even exist. A society where there will be no more hostility and injustice. A society where poverty, uh, addiction and racism will never claim another life. That is where we are heading. Right. But it's also what the church is called to represent and fight for here and now as we seek his kingdom on earth. As God's children, we are called to make this reality visible. Right. Listen to um, Michael Reeves in his book, Delighting in, in the Trinity. Uh, he says this. He says, so it is not just that the Father, Son and Spirit call us into fellowship with themselves he says they share their heavenly harmony that there might be harmony on earth and that is what the family of God by its very existence makes known to the world that the God of harmony is the hope for world peace that he can and will unite enemies rivals strangers into one loving family under his fatherly care. In other words, it's not enough for us just to go and tell people, right? The, the church has to make this reality known uh, to the world by its very existence. It's when the world sees this harmony, this unity being worked out in the church by diverse people. You see, that's what makes the gospel compelling. Uh, listen to a D.A. Horton, who is a Mexican-American pastor uh, who has been working for what he calls ethnic conciliation. Um, and he says this, he says, when the world sees peace among the mosaic of colors, genders, generations, and socioeconomic classes that make up the local church, they should long for what we have. And we can then invite them to become part of God's family. He says, the church we belong to today lives out God's mission when it serves the world as a preview of the coming kingdom. We're to be a preview, put on display the coming kingdom. And we can't just, you know, play happy families uh, because people can see right through that. Uh, you know, we have to walk through these tensions together, you know, striving for the unity refusing partiality, celebrating diversity. Um, you know, that's why when people say, oh, I'm colorblind, you know, I, I don't see people's color. It's actually not very helpful. Uh, as I said, it's not even biblical because after all, God isn't colorblind, is he? 
right? He created all these different ethnicities and colors. They're, they're part of the rich tapestry of his family, each one bearing his image and together reflecting something of his multicolored glory. So when the Apostle Paul said, you know, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, you know, he wasn't erasing the distinctions. It's not like oh, we're all the same now. No, we're different. And those differences are to be celebrated, right? What the Apostle Paul meant was we're all included now in God's family, that we're all on the same footing, but we're not all the same. Uh, and so that's why we shouldn't pretend to be colorblind as if, you know, conformity is the goal. No, it's not. Unity in diversity is the goal. That's why we need to celebrate the different ethnicities among us and learn from them. Now, you know, as a white European, I know I have blind spots, right? We all do. Every culture does. And that is why we need one another, right? Not just people who look like us, talk like us, think like us, agree with us, right? No, we, we need to sit down and share a meal with people from uh, different ethnicities, different cultures, different generations, different social economic backgrounds, right? We need to listen so that we can understand. I was so blessed and helped uh, by this series of interviews we did last year called Summer Stories. And in one of them, uh, Henry did a series of interviews with the different immigrants in our church. I think you can find it on our website. Uh, it was from August 27th. And uh, it was just so helpful hearing their different perspectives and especially hearing about Norbert's experience of racism here on the seacoast, where it may not necessarily have been hostile, but it was certainly very demeaning. It was offensive. It was wrong. And, uh, you know, even though all of our immigrants, you know, spoke of how welcomed, you know, they felt by our church, I know that we still have some way to go. And that's why, you know, spending time listening, uh, maybe asking people what they've been going through, um, maybe grieving with those who have experienced rejection um, or have been demeaned or, or you know, suffered injustice uh, from others. You know, that is a good first step. Certainly makes me, you know, search my own heart. And that's a good place to start for every one of us, you know, to say, you know, Lord, search me. Search my heart. Um, and it may then lead us to repentance as we come to recognize where maybe we have been um, insensitive or ignorant to the feelings of our brothers and sisters. Uh, it may come to reveal uh, the, the prejudices, um, you know, the preferences, the perspectives we have that don't belong in God's family. Or maybe it might reveal to us uh, the sin of omission where it's not so much what we've said or done it's more what we haven't said and haven't done you know where perhaps we have been silent you know we may not be able to fix this broken society but we can ask God to fix us and we can all play a part in being his image bearers in his new society you know, reflecting the 
the loving uh, fellowship of the Trinity as his family here on earth. And really that's what Jesus himself prayed for in John 17, in his great high priestly prayer, where he prayed for all believers. And this is what he said. Verse 22 says, Father, may they be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Right? It's so that the world might know. It's why building multicultural, multi-generational churches might be our best answer to the issue of racism. And not just racism, but, you know, ageism, classism, sexism, and so on. You see, it's our unity. It's diverse people living out their faith as one family. That's what demonstrates the power of the gospel to the world. And only the gospel can fix those issues, right? Yes, we need to fight injustice. It's part of seeing God's kingdom come. But only the gospel can change people's hearts. Only the gospel can bring peace and harmony to our world. And so part of our mission is to make this reality visible, right? So that the world might know. It means it means building uh, local churches that look like heaven. But, you know, all of that is going to require some intentionality. I think we're going to have to be more intentional than we have been maybe in the past. And I know that starts with leadership, you know. We'll never build a multicultural church unless it's reflected in the leadership. Uh, it's why I personally want to see people of color on our pastoral team, as well as people from a younger generation, you know, because we, we need their unique uh, perspectives. Uh, I love the fact that we have in our church uh, people from across the generations, people from different nationalities, you know, uh, may we continue to grow in that. But we also need to grow in building deeper relationships with the people among us. Uh, as well as by reaching out to others in our cities and inviting them to join God's family. And what about the poor and the marginalized? You know, where are they in our church? We're just beginning, uh, I think, to touch some need. But again, all of this requires some intentionality. You know, we tend to mix with those uh, who are like us birds of a feather and all of that, you know. Uh, we, you know, we form cliques with people that we're comfortable with. But if we're following Jesus, we have to go to where Jesus is. And where's Jesus? Hey, where's Jesus? He's outside the camp. That's what it says in Hebrews 13. Uh, listen to this. Hebrews 13, verse 12 says Jesus also suffered outside the city gate, outside the walls of Jerusalem, outside the camp. He suffered there to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. God's people were inside the camp. right? They, they were inside the city of Jerusalem. Jesus went outside. Uh, that's where he was crucified. 
in that place of exclusion and rejection and shame, right? Jesus went outside the camp where he suffered in that place of alienation. And it was so that we who had been alienated from God and from one another might be reconciled and brought into his family. Um, you know, and the thing is, there, is, there are many, many more people who God is wanting to bring into his family, but they're all outside the camp. You see, that's where the need is. Outside the camp is where the poor and the marginalized are. Outside the camp is where the oppressed and abused are. Outside the camp is where the different ethnicities and cultures are. It's where all the unreached people groups are, right? And you can be sure that outside the camp is outside of our comfort zones. Uh, but it's where Jesus is. That's why Jesus said, you know, if you, if you want to be my disciples, then you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And we say, well, where are you going, Jesus? Right? Where did you carry your cross to? Outside the camp. You see, it's where Jesus is. And our mission is to go to him. In uh, John 20, uh, verse 21, Jesus said this. He said this to his followers. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now receive the Holy Spirit. We have been called to participate in the mission of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? The mission of our Trinitarian God is our mission too. So let's go. Let's go. Right? Let's not be passive. Let's not be silent. Let's be very intentional. Because as God's children, we all have a part to play in this. Are you with me? Amen. Um, and can I say, if you've been listening in here and maybe you don't know God as your father, maybe you have uh, you know, a belief in a, a greater being, maybe, maybe in God as creator, but you don't know him as father, you don't know uh, Jesus as saviour, you don't know the Holy Spirit in terms of the love that he pours into our hearts um, and you want to know more, please get in touch. Uh, you can uh, text us. Uh, just text the word Trinity, all right, to 603-205-0387, all right? Text the word Trinity to 603-205-0387. Seven, and uh, we'd love to pray with you, uh, or maybe send a booklet to help you on your journey. So just text us the word Trinity, and we will text back and see how we can uh, help you along. So um, I'm going to leave it there. Then God bless you uh, today. Again, any other information you want to know about our church, you can always email us at hello at newfrontierschurch.com. But I'm going to hand back to Evan now, who will lead us in a final song. Uh, it's a song that he wrote that really celebrates our oneness. Right? Have a great week. Oh
broken all the barriers and brought down the fighting walls that have kept us separated. You gave your life once and for all. The sacred veil has been severed that was keeping us apart. You have built the bridge between us by the power of the cross. We are one. Cross has crushed hostility Now we are living in the promise Of your glorious mystery As the gospel of your love Joins our hearts in unity We are one By the blood of the Chosen not by merit, but because of your mercy, Jesus, you show no preferring, and you we share equality. We are a race of grace, a royal priesthood, a people now redeemed. We are one. by your hand You've sealed us with your Holy Spirit To be the praise of your glorious grace and heart. 